You're listening to the Self-Made is a Myth, Make a Difference Together show with your host, Coach Tim Campsall, where we talk with successful business owners to hear the stories of their journeys in building their successful businesses. And more importantly, we recognize the folks who help them excel because we know that achieving business success is not something we can do on our own. Hello, everyone. This is Coach Tim Campbell, and I'm excited to have a fellow business owner from Indiana with us today. Check this out. My guest had Larry Bird as his basketball camp camp counselor when he was in grade school. That's pretty cool. We'll ask him a little bit more about that. In his downtime, he loves to travel, and he's most proud of his two amazing boys, as well as the impact that he's been able to have in other people's lives through his board work and volunteer work. It's my pleasure to welcome Greg to the show today. Hello, Greg. Thanks so much, Tim. Really appreciate you having me, and I've been looking forward to this for the last couple of weeks. Hey, let's start with having you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of your personal story, like where you were born and live, about your family and your hobbies. Yeah, so uh, native Hoosier. I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, and have traveled pretty extensively since then, but grew up in Terre Haute. Um, uh, Butler University was about an hour and a half from where I grew up and seemed to be about the right distance away and had exactly what I was looking for uh, in a school, low standards on the golf team. So had an opportunity to play golf uh, through Butler, studied business, helped them uh, found an entrepreneurship club while I was there and then started my career here in Indianapolis working for a hyper growth technology company. We, we built the company from about a million dollars in revenue where I was the 10th employee to about $500 million in revenue. We were acquired by a publicly traded company, felt like that probably long-term wasn't gonna be a great cultural fit. And so went looking for another high growth middle market uh, business to go help and, and grow, which wouldn't intuitively necessarily lead you to one of the big four accounting firms, but I ended up spending the next 15 years at PwC, but they were very entrepreneurial opportunities at PwC, helping them build and grow a, a technology security practice, and then helping them uh, pull together Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana into an operating unit and helping them have uh, build a strategy, uh, build business development capabilities, um, serve clients in a different and better way. So did that, and then just saw an opportunity in the middle market space as I was talking to other people that were in middle market businesses where the vast majority of middle market business owners I talked to didn't come from the revenue function. And I, I felt like if they didn't get the revenue function right, none of the rest of their business mattered. And so they approached things very unintentionally. And they also approached things in a way that wouldn't necessarily lead them to a path to exit uh, or having a transferable asset. And that asset typically is the most valuable asset that they'll ever own. So founded a business uh, in 2017 with the mission of helping as many middle market business owners as I could optimize their revenue function in a way that maximizes valuation and gives them more and more uh, meaningful options to exit. So that's how we got to where we are today. And as you mentioned along the way, I've done quite a bit of, of board work and coaching of basketball teams and uh, remain active in the Butler community and, and uh, Again, very much looking forward to, to our discussion today. Fantastic. Greg, tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, so I've got uh, two great uh, guys. Uh, one graduated from TCU, so I've got the purple on in honor of the Horn Frogs. Uh, <laughs> they've given us a little more to cheer about the last couple of years than my Bulldogs have, unfortunately. Uh, I've got another guy that uh, graduated from high school in 2020, and he's a merchandiser for Pepsi. And 
is doing well and happy and and relatively independent. And so um, I've got the two boys. I've got a spouse, Shelly, that's highly supportive and and has been a great partner in life. And um, both parents, fortunately, are still around and and have the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with them as well. Fantastic. Tell us about Larry Bird. Yeah. So uh, my a bit of a backstory on that. Uh, my my grandfather was a big IU fan, and my parents both went to Indiana State University in Terre Haute, and that's how we all ended up there. Uh, my my father approached my grandfather and he said, hey, we've got this guy coming to Indiana State and I think he's going to be really good. He might even be better than Kent Benson, who was kind of a star at Indiana at the time and ended up playing in the NBA. And my grandfather said, there's no way. There's no way this guy's going to be as, as good as Kent Benson. And at the time, very few people went to Indiana State basketball games. So he signed up for season tickets. And because nobody went to the games, we ended up getting front row seats uh, and and uh, the coach at the time, uh, Bob King, and then Bill Hodges, uh, ended up recruiting this guy literally off the back of a garbage truck in French Lake, Indiana, to come and play at Indiana State. And the rest is is sort of history. He was uh, I, I spent a lot of time growing up at the Terre Haute Boys Club and playing basketball and ultimately coaching uh, a young team through high school. Uh, and and he was in grade school, my camp counselor, along with a guy named Harry Morgan. So uh, we got the benefit of spending a little time with him and and the bigger benefit of going to almost every Indiana State University game uh, where they won every game until the finals against Magic Johnson and Michigan, Michigan State in 1979. Very cool. Wow, that is awesome. So, Greg, let's shift gears here. Tell us how the business came about and at what point in time did you have the confidence that you could run your own business? Um, I'm still trying to acquire the confidence that I have to run my own business, I think, as a lot of us in this space may be. Uh, but but what I will tell you is it, it really was just um, as I analyzed the market and as I mentioned, talked to a number of business owners, um, I felt like I could be more impactful helping as many business owners as I could, as opposed to going to work for an organization or start or buying a company or starting something else from scratch might have um, some some financial value, uh, but didn't necessarily bring the intrinsic value I was looking for. And, and that's really what I enjoy about the business is the intrinsic value of helping these business owners, hopefully, and their families and their employees and their communities uh, get to a place where they likely would not have gotten on their own. And it's not that I've got necessarily anything special other than a whole lot of experience in a functional area that tends to uh, really define an organization's success or lack of, and as I mentioned, transferability of their business to somebody else, making their business at some point market attractive. And the the last thing I wanted to see, and and I've had some of these discussions with business owners, was that business owners get to the end of their career and they built and run a nice business, and then they say, okay, I'm ready to sell the business, and I need to sell it in the next six months because. I've had a health event or a family's had a health event or I've just gotten to the point where I've done this for 30 years and I'm tired or COVID was really hard and I'm just ready to get out of the business. And they, they their path to exit ends up uh, being closing the doors and putting a lock on. And, and that's um, if I could help some people avoid that, I thought that had a high degree of intrinsic value. And it's been really uh, fulfilling over the last six and a half, seven years um, to, to learn about a lot of different businesses and the histories of the business owners and and be able to put them, as I mentioned, in hopefully a bit of a different spot in terms of both uh, revenue generation, profitability, as well as transferability, which tends to be a, an even bigger issue. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of sad to, that a lot of businesses do what you just said, right? They get to the end and they just shut down the doors because it's not really a sellable business, which is unfortunate that they've invested all that time and energy and sweat and blood and tears into not being able to, to pass it along or sell it or, you know, get any value out of it. Yeah, precisely. And, and as you mentioned, transferability doesn't necessarily mean I'm selling to a private equity organization. It could be I'm launching an ESOP and I want my employees to take it over. But if they haven't built a management team, there are no employees to take it over. Or it might mean there is a management buyout, or it might mean that there's a family member or somebody in management that has the ability to take over the business. Um, but either way, it's got to be a transferable asset and it's got to be self-sustaining without the uh, oversight and involvement of the owner. Right, exactly. So Greg, tell us more about the company. What's the name? What do you guys do? How do you help folks? Yeah, so Accelerant Consultants, um, as I said, founded in, in 2017, um, helping businesses optimize their revenue function. So it is really helping them evaluate and assess what leads to not just top line revenue, but net profitability. And um, what we see is a lot of businesses whose owners uh, start under the premise of how do I personally take as much money out of the business and create a lifestyle business as I possibly can. And they operate from for a long period of time under the premise of scarcity. So it's we just need to get as many clients as we can who can fog a mirror and have a checkbook to do whatever they ask us to do to build top line <laughs> revenue without necessarily an understanding or an appreciation how that translates into net profitability, how it translates into growth, and how, again, more importantly, it, tra it translates into transferability. Mm -hmm. So getting very specific about how your strategy is developed based on those capabilities that you have and how that lines up with the generation of net profitability and what that means in terms of market demand, and then getting very specific around your go-to-market strategy um, and things like target market segmentation, things like market messaging to make sure that you're differentiating and compelling, um, things like alignment of resources. I, I've dealt with $50 million companies that have 15 sales reps that don't even have a job description in place. Mm -hmm. So not only are they not aligned to value, they're not even necessarily aligned to growth or organizations that pay salespeople a whole lot of money for revenue that would have flowed into the organization, whether those people were there or not. And, sure. and getting the organization to a place where expectations are shifted, we transfer into more of a high-performing environment, but one that is very intentionally aligned and gives people a lot of opportunity because it's aligned toward value creation, growth, and net profitability, which obviously leads for opportunities for everybody in the organization. For everyone listening, uh, check out the company in the link in the description and uh, go visit Greg on LinkedIn and uh, tell him that you watched his interview. So, hey, Greg, share a story where someone pushed you or inspired you that you could do it, maybe even though you didn't think that you could and the impact that person had on you. Um, you know, I would say, and, and I think we're going to talk about uh, some of the people that were impactful later in life. Um, uh, I would say a, a couple of people come to mind. Um, number one, my parents. My parents were have always been somewhat inspirational to me and I think have provided me with um, a nice combination of business sense that I got from my dad. He was in the investment business. Mm. And um, at a young age, I remember most young people at that time wanted to get up and watch cartoons on a Saturday or Sunday morning. 
And uh, he, he asked his remote, which was me at the time, so I'm going to date myself. It was before TVs had remotes to get up and change the channel and turn <laughs> it to what they called Wall Street Week, which is a, a show on PBS that talked about all of the happenings on Wall Street over the previous week and where the direction of the economy was going and what the nature of business was and interest rates and all the things that at 10 or 12 years old, I could care less about, <laughs> but certainly gave me a little bit of a foundation, whether I liked it or not in business. My mom was a lifelong teacher. Um, I'm the only person in my immediate family without an advanced degree. So I feel, even though I teach a class at Butler University, uh, feel a little bit uh, less worthy to be in the family <laughs> as a result of not necessarily having the education that they do. But um, she, number one, was a lifelong learner. And number two, had because she dealt with some challenged kids in some challenged communities, um, had a, a very high level of empathy. Mm. And I feel like having those that combination of intellectual curiosity and empathy has has hopefully served me well. And then I would say uh, there's a guy that uh, started and founded the first company that I went to work for right out of school. I had an internship with IBM mm -hmm. and they were an IBM business partner. Like I said, there were uh, 10 employees, nine employees at the time. I ended up joining and, and becoming the 10th. Um, but he, he was raised in the old school IBM, high level of accountability, high level of progress, a high level of value built in the organization. And while uh, there were a lot of conversations that were uncomfortable early in my career, because I was being held highly uh, uh, accountable, uh, it certainly benefited me from looking at what a good organization and how an organization should be run and how a revenue function should be run. And it really gave me a great foundation for the rest of my career. Isn't it? It's interesting how uh, we all have that story of the the manager who was a little tough on us and right held, held us accountable. And, you know, those conversations weren't necessarily all that fun, but we remember them and they, they shaped and molded who we are today. Yeah, certainly the management style probably wouldn't resonate with a lot of people today. But <laughs> a lot of the principals uh, obviously do. We, we, I remember would have Monday morning meetings at seven 30 in the morning. And, uh, uh, I would spend half the day on Sunday preparing for that meeting because mm. we knew that somebody was going to get chewed out in the meeting and and you hoped it wasn't you and <laughs> you had to be as prepared as you could be. And so from a principle of preparation and doing your job and follow-up and thoughtfulness around how to run the business, and there were a lot of concepts embedded in that. Uh, the delivery style wasn't necessarily always what I loved, but uh, it, it, I think, helped me develop into um, uh, hopefully a pretty thoughtful business person. Greg, what's your biggest learning as a business owner? Um, I would say the biggest learning as a business owner is that a couple of things. Number one, uh, that the destination that you expect when you start a business is not necessarily, that the path you expect to get on that destination is not necessarily how things play out. <laughs> um, I, when I originally founded my business, my background was really in technology and, and in professional services and my network based on my board involvement at Butler University and, and my experience in PwC was largely in at least Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky, if not in Indiana. And I thought, okay, I'll probably be doing a lot of business and working with a lot of clients in Indiana, if not central Indiana, and a lot of clients in the professional services or technology space. And while I've certainly worked with clients in technology and professional services, um, I've also worked with clients in patient safety and in orthotics and in die casting and in uh, technology security and in fine art uh, safety and and management and uh, a lot of fire safety, a lot of different industries. And I've worked with clients 
literally from California to New York and Montreal to Mexico City. So how I thought things would play out certainly isn't as they have, um, but you try to be fairly intentional about the clients that you're taking on, making sure that you're not dealing with people that just want validation of their own greatness and that they're coachable. They're from an ego perspective. They, they want to be lifelong learners. They want to do things better. They want to improve themselves as well as their organizations. Um, and, and again, a lot of business owners that I work with, I'll take the orthotics company. It was literally a guy who was an orthotist who had a son who ironically needed an orthotic device that he didn't find readily available on the market. So he made one hmm. and he made two wow. and then he made three and then he made thousands and ultimately built about a $50 million company with the mission of helping a million kids walk. And, and just hearing those kinds of stories about entrepreneurs who along the way have made certain decisions and taken certain risks and may not have known even where payroll was coming from mm. on certain weeks or certain months, uh, but figured out how to get uh, the business, keep the, the business moving forward and ultimately build something that, uh, again, will become transferable and hopefully produce generational wealth. There, I, there's a visual that I keep in mind about getting to our goals. So you mentioned it's not always the path we expected. Uh, I, I think of the visual of climbing a mountain, right, where you can't go straight up. You got to zigzag back and forth. And, and that's certainly been my experience <laughs> as a business owner. But every zig and zag has has been exactly what I needed at the time, right? The learning and the and the knowledge that I gained from that was what I needed to be able to take the business to the next level. Yeah. Well, and to your point, there always has to be a bit of timing and a bit of luck. And to some degree you make your own luck, but I just read an article the other day about how Amazon needed to recapitalize uh, and they needed to recapitalize in uh, early 08 and recapitalize for somewhere over $600 million. Um, and so they recapitalized, got the business up and running and financially healthy and then the market crashed in November, October, November of that year. Had they not recapitalized earlier in the year and waited until after the market crash, mm -hmm. there likely would be no Amazon today. Wow. So again, a lot of it is timing and a little bit yeah. of luck and, um, and, and ultimately made one of the biggest companies and one of the richest individuals in the world as a result of recapitalizing when they did, as opposed to just sort of kicking the can and saying, okay, why don't we just wait another six months and maybe the interest rates will go down or maybe the yeah. terms will be more favorable or maybe we'll make more money. And uh, certainly it's a risk recapitalizing with $600 million, uh, but uh, they would not be in business today had, had that event not happened in the timing that it did. Yeah, wow, that is crazy. Hey, Greg, we know that, business success doesn't happen in isolation. So tell us about one of the biggest challenges you faced in building your business and maybe a, a fellow business owner who came alongside you and helped you through that. Yeah, I, uh, you're right. You have to rely on a lot of people and I have taken very much of a channel strategy in my business. So um, large groups of entrepreneurs are hard to get to. As you know, you coach a number of entrepreneurs um, and, and I've done a lot of speaking and I do speaking with different entrepreneurial groups. And, and that is a way that I hopefully get my message out and evangelize a little bit and, and encourage people to hopefully do business with me that I can help. Um, there was a person early on in my career, uh, and, and he was actually the first person whose content I read. You become a consultant or an advisor, and you tend to become a bit more of a student of the game, and you want to absorb information and content that's coming from the market in your space. Uh, he's a guy named Mike Weinberg, 
And Mike Weinberg uh, wrote what is now still one of the top five books in the sales category on Amazon of all time uh, called New Sales, uh, called, um, New sales Simplified. Hmm. He's also got a, a book called Sales Management Simplified, and he's now written a book called uh, First Time Manager in Sales, and he's got a book called Sales Truth, and he's written a few other books and does a lot of consulting work as well. And I read his content, I followed him on Twitter, and I would see him tweet about accountability or around developing an annual sales plan. And then I would see him tweet about Butler basketball. And then I'd see him tweet about sales management. And I'd see him tweet about uh, having a finite defined list of clients. And then I'd see him tweet about the Butler uh, Lacey College of Business. <laughs> and I, I was chairing the Lacey School of Business at Butler uh, at the time. And I said, okay, what gives with this guy? He's from St. Louis, originally from New York. He's written some really good books and content that I felt like could be really helpful to people in this sales category. Uh, philosophically, he and I seem to be aligned. So I sent him an, an email through his website and I said, um, you know, not sure what the connection with Butler is, but I'm chairing the Lacey School. I'm also uh, launching a practice sort of in your space. And he said, let's get together two weeks from Saturday. I'm coming in for a basketball game. And so as it turned out, um, he had a son that was a junior finance major at Butler University. Ah. At the time. And he said, you're just coming out of PwC, pretty well connected in the finance community. If you could help mentor my son and give him some career counseling, and I, I would really appreciate that. And by the way, um, I do a lot of sales training and sales kickoffs, and I've got a lot of content, but I don't really help organizations re-architect or modernize their entire revenue function. I don't necessarily look at things holistically. I don't necessarily deal a lot with things like compensation. When I get those calls, because I get a lot of them, um, would you be willing to help them out? Oh, wow. he's He has been a great friend. Uh, he's been a great source of, of leads and thought and content. And he's been kind enough to come in and speak to my class at Butler, which I use his content in the class and it's been fantastic. But certainly from an exposure to middle market business owners that I never would have gotten mm. without him. Uh, like I said, he's been a great uh, business partner and friend along the way. That is fantastic. Wow. What a, what an interesting navigation to, you know, as you said earlier, right. A little bit of uh, planning, a little bit of luck and, and uh, throw in there a, a, a connection for a school and, and all of a sudden there's a, a strong partnership. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah it's been great. Greg, if I am, um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Uh, if I was to ask you to pick three people in your business owner journey that you're most grateful for them being there uh, to help with your business's growth, who are those three people and how they help you? Um, again, I'll go back to the three that I just mentioned, and then I'm going to add one more. So I'm going to go a bit off script and, and give you a fourth. Um, so my parents, my father giving me, I think, pretty good business sense. My mom being a lifelong learner and giving me a high degree of empathy um, and thinking about being a, a caring, hopefully decent human being. Um, <laughs> Henry Camfernam, who was the founder of the first business that I went to and giving me, I think, a really good business foundation and showing me what high growth should look like and how to do things very intentionally. Um, and then I, I think as business owners, a, a lot of us hopefully go back to the first person that gave you an opportunity. So there was a guy named Ron Pelletier who owns a business here in Indianapolis um, called Pondurance, and it was a technology security organization. And as I was looking to exit PwC, I, I wanted something more entrepreneurial again. And PwC had become sort of a, a bit more of a cog in the machine. And to their credit, and a great firm, they gave me opportunities 
to be more entrepreneurial in different areas of the business, but they tended to exist in Orange County, California, or San Francisco, or Boston, or Indianapolis, as you know, is a really easy place to live, and those places were not necessarily attractive mm -hmm. to move. And so um, I was looking for something more entrepreneurial, and he approached me, and he said, you know, what do you think about coming to help us out? And I said, what do you think about a consulting arrangement? Uh, and and he took a chance on me and and became my first client when I really didn't, and not that we ever fully have things figured out, but I certainly didn't <laughs> have things completely figured out with my first client, but uh, worked into a long-term relationship and he was able to exit his business successfully through private equity. And, and it's been a great friendship and partnership ever since. So I, you know, certainly we all hopefully have a degree of appreciation and uh, for the first person that was willing to take a chance on us as our first client. Yes. Amen to that. <laughs> Greg, as you think about the, the next three to five years, what's the biggest challenge that you see that you're going to face, <laughs> excuse me, in order to reach your goals and who are the types of people that you'll need to solve those? Yeah. So I would say a couple of things. Um, who knows what's going to go on with the macro economy? And um, that is always a factor that we ne we don't necessarily have any control over but it certainly affects us in a big way. And, and I think overcoming that challenge, not only for business owners that I work with, but for myself, really becomes uh, around what Jim Calhoun, the coach of UConn's basketball, women's basketball team has said, and he's been phenomenally successful in that space for anyone who follows basketball. And as you know, that's in Indiana, what we do, we do basketball here and we do a lot of it. But um, he said the best time to figure out why we're winning games is while we're winning games. <laughs> when you start to get a, a bit of economic headwind and you haven't really been thoughtful or intentional about how you built your business and haven't necessarily prepared your business to weather those storms, uh, your, 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 your challenges are going to be significantly worse mm. than they are if you build a well-run, highly intentional business going into those things. And, and interestingly, I wrote a white paper when I first started the firm, because I got a little, a lot of business owners who would say, you know what, I think we've got this revenue thing all figured out. We're growing by 15% <laughs> a year. Well, guess what? So is everybody else. And we had the tailwind of a massive economy, which we still largely have. Money was virtually free. There was a lot of liquidity in the system. Everybody was growing. And, um, uh, everybody had it figured out until they didn't much like the real estate market in 06 and 07. In 06 and 07, everybody said, we've got this real estate thing figured out. Everything we touch is turning to profitability. Right. We have no problems until 75% of the market was gone in 08 and 09. And you really figured out who had it figured out. Yeah. And so I, I would say continuing to be focused on uh, building a highly intentional business that can help business owners even in times of need and really helping in advance of that. And as with any organization, I think part of the challenge is just continuing to scale and scale in the right way, finding the right people um, that don't necessarily um, make your company go bankrupt, but have the ability and the motivation and the skill and the will to serve clients in a similar way as I do and make sure that we continue to build this business in, in the right way, serving the right people. Mm. And again, not get caught in the trap of operating from a position of scarcity where we'll, we're willing to take on any client that has any problem just because we need the top line revenue. <laughs> um, it's really around where we can continue to be most impactful in the market and being highly intentional about our niche and where we have capabilities that match up with market need and continuing to add people that that can be accretive to that. Yeah. 
it certainly makes a, a, a big difference when we're not in that scarcity mode, right? Where we can say no to a potential customer because we know it's not the right alignment or the right strategic fit. It's not going to be a win-win. Um, and to be able to, you know, confidently communicate, hey, this isn't the right fit for you, right? And and maybe even, you know, introduce them to to someone else that would be a better fit. It, it's just, it's a better, it's a more comfortable place. You know, it's, it's hard to say no to somebody who wants to pay you, but uh, long-term it's, it's way better than bringing on somebody that, you know, isn't a, a good fit and, you know, it's not going to be a fun, enjoyable experience. <laughs> well, and to your point, I think a lot of business owners um, don't necessarily look through the lens of opportunity cost. It's, I need the revenue and I need top line revenue. And they also don't necessarily translate the top line revenue into fully loaded net profitability and and how that impacts their business and what the alternative allocations of those resources could be. I, I've got a client that I worked with that we did an analysis of their customers and we came to find out that of their bottom customers, the average gross profit, and so that's before writing off bad debt, it's before paying commissions and it's before paying someone with a forklift to go out in the warehouse and ship product, but the average gross profit was $26. And so you translate that in a net profit, it was negative for every one of those customers, yet they had salespeople spending time with those customers. So there was an opportunity cost around that. They had carrying costs in the warehouse. They had accounting that was spending time sending out invoices and doing collections for some of these organizations. And it really comes down to um, what, what percentage of our resources are we allocating toward bad business and are we throwing good money after bad and how do we unwind that and get much more intentional and focused around that, which generates a high level of net profitability and ultimately organizational value. Yeah. It, it, I'm sure you see this all the time, but it, for folks listening, it's, it's <clears throat> possible, not, not, not just possible. It happens all the time that you can actually shrink your top line and become more profitable when you get rid of those bad customers, right? Yeah, not only more profitable, more transferable. There are a lot of people that end up doing stuff and things that really aren't strategically connected or related. And there's really no reason that they do those other than they needed revenue at the time. And uh, ultimately, if your desire is to sell your business to an outside party, they want it to be strategic, strategically aligned. It is devaluing of your business to do a lot of things that really don't contribute to the strategy or the mission of the organization or, and are done for the sole purpose of revenue generation. Nobody wants that. That's not strategic for them and they really can't build a team around it and they really don't have any definition around what an ideal client looks like or how to put together a target filter. It's just, we're going to do a lot of stuff and things for money. <laughs> and hopefully it's going to translate into a bigger check for me as the owner at the end of the year. Unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of times at the end of the career, it translates into a significantly smaller check. And that's where really where the big opportunity exists for business owners. Yeah. Hey, last question here, Greg, Jim Rohn, awesome uh, business guru said, we become the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So, as you think about that quote, what advice do you, would you have for business owners who are trying to do it on their own, who think that they don't need help or don't need to surround themselves with others or, or just are too afraid to ask, you know, you know, take that risk and ask somebody to mentor them? Yeah. So um, as you know, and as we discussed, I operate primarily in the revenue function and in, within the organizational strategy realm as well. Um, and one of the things that I've always highlighted, and, and I do this in my class at Butler in trying not to get people to 
um, develop into what the, the negative stereotypes that people see salespeople being. And I think a lot of the, the national names of training, it, they reinforce those stereotypes. And they're not necessarily overly helpful. But one of the concepts that I start out asking the students about and have them actually give a presentation on is intellectual curiosity. Mm. And I think for some business owners, if they think they've got it all figured out, and if they think they are the sole source of all the answers for their organization, eventually that doesn't translate well. Mm -hmm. And I think the organizations also that um, become penny wise and pound foolish in terms of, I can either take this $150,000 and I can build a pool in my backyard, or I can hire somebody that ultimately becomes part of my management team that gives me the ability to then be much more strategic around how I run my business. And it allows me to transfer out of my business. Um, just having those conversations can never be hurtful and, mm -hmm. and encouraging business owners, whether it is engaging a coach or engaging people in certain functional areas um, to just provide thoughts and thought leadership, being a, a consumer of content that's available on the internet, um, Harvard Business School content or a podcast or whatever that content happens to be, being just a voracious reader and absorber of content and different thoughts and different strategies and, and understanding, like, again, back to the basketball coaching analogy, that there is never a destination. It's always a path toward improvement and getting better every day, running a better business, becoming more transferable, becoming more highly valuable to somebody in the external market. And what does that look like? I, I think a lot of business owners get caught up in kind of the issue of the day and in perpetuity, they're playing whack-a-mole around. I've got <laughs> a chart issue or I've got a dissatisfied customer. Or I've got a shipping issue or I've got a supply chain issue or I've got a project that's gone awry or whatever happened, happened. Um, but they wake up three or four years from now and the business doesn't look any different. Mm -hmm. They've almost succeeded or not in spite of themselves because they're busy solving the problem of the day yeah. as opposed to rising above it having a very um, highly intentional defined strategy and then executing in a high performance way that is nearly impossible to do cross-functionally without help from the outside or without at least absorbing content and being, like I said, ha having a high degree of intellectual curiosity and being a lifelong learner. Yeah, that, that lifelong learner idea, our founder says you must learn to earn. Right. So the idea is, right, if we're not constantly being students of our game and learning from others and, and best practices and, and you know, elevating our knowledge, right, we're, we're not going to be as successful because we don't have that impetus of, well, I wonder how I might apply that thing I learned to my business or I wonder how I would implement that. Um, and so we, we tend, if we're not continually learning, we tend to just repeat the stuff we already know and we end up being, staying somewhat status quo, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. No, and, and I like what you're saying is we don't have to, you know, the, the internet is full of information. So, right, we don't have to go and hire somebody necessarily, right? We, we read a book, we attend a seminar, we, right, we, we do things that are, you know, relatively, you know, free. And there's tons of information out there that we can benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. And so to that point, hopefully some of your uh, audience and your listeners will benefit from this discussion and have some takeaways that they might be able to implement in their own businesses. And, and as you mentioned, if anybody would like to reach out and have a conversation specifically about their revenue function and, and being very focused and building value, I'd be happy to have those discussions. 
Fantastic. Well, Greg, sounds like you've been blessed with some incredible people who have helped you in your business owner journey. So if they were all here on the show today, what would you want to say to them? Uh, you know, as much as anything, as hopefully we all would, you come from a place of gratitude and you understand that no business is built alone, um, no level of knowledge. And whether you're talking about your college professors or you're talking about a, a former boss or a mentor, or your parents or whomever, um, just, you know, thank you. It, it, to your point, it, it's been it's been a great journey and will continue to be a great journey, but it, it certainly was not done alone. And you are the product of the people you surround yourself with, as you mentioned. And fortunately, I've been able to surround myself with a lot of uh, very thoughtful, empathetic, uh, intelligent people over my career. And, and they've helped put me in a position to now help other people, whether it's mentoring students or putting people in a better place to succeed from a career perspective or putting business owners in a better place. And hopefully there's a bit of a, a pay it forward uh, mentality as well, which hopefully they would appreciate. They built somebody that has that kind of mentality as well. I love it. Greg, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, Tim, really enjoyed it. And again, uh, I hope your audience has gotten something out of today and look forward to staying in touch and wish you all the best in your business as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Stay warm. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to the Self-Made is a Myth show with your host, Coach Tim Campsaw. Please help spread this movement by liking and subscribing to our show and following us on Facebook and LinkedIn or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. To join our movement, go to BeMadTogether.com. Okay, folks, that's a wrap. Please pay it forward and be sure to tune in next time to the Self-Made is a Myth podcast.